On this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast, we are discussing Long Gone Summer. And when I say we, it is Elaine Shercliffe. Hey! <laughs> well, this was a, a documentary I was looking forward to ever since they announced it because there is no baseball right now. So this is about as close as we're going to get unless I'm watching like the 1988 World Series like the fifth time. Um, so this was at least something a little bit more modern, uh, a little bit more exciting and interestingly enough has some parallels to what's happening now uh what was your overall uh, perception or, or thoughts about the documentary before we get into it well um from a documentary standpoint i think it was not the best put together um it's still better in my mind than the lance armstrong one because i just can't it was so unsettling but that one was still put together really well um, in my mind, I thought the beginning of this documentary was kind of, it jumped around and they tried to put too much history and pop culture into it without giving it kind of like um, the, the dive in depth that it deserved. I feel like they probably could have done it over two nights then. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of done like the first hour just about, you know, Mark McGuire's history, the second hour about Sammy Sosa's history, and then combine the two in the other episode, and then really focused on baby steroids a little bit, while still being able to give uh, Maris and Harry Carey and Ken Griffey Jr. their their due. And I feel like they tried to touch on so much in such a little amount of time that the first hour was painful <laughs> yeah that, that's a good way to put it i mean the two things stuck out to me throughout the entire documentary one this is really a mark mcguire documentary with some sammy sosa sprinkled in yes yes exactly two why, why is that oh <laughs> uh, I, I i'll get i'll get back to that in a second but two um <laughs> All the modern footage superimposed and sliced into with the footage from 98 drove me nuts. They would show footage from from Wrigley of uh, current current fans. You see people in Chris Bryant jerseys, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber. And, oh look, Sammy Sosa's hitting a home run supposedly into these people. Are, are these all time travelers? And you know they have the footage. There is footage. So, like, I wish, too, that at the end they would have just done like a hitting montage to end it out, to, to clear it out, you know, mm-hmm. like with, um, with the credits rolling behind it or like next to it and just done a, um, chronological order of their home runs. Mm-hmm. They could have done that. Like starting with number one on the season for Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa and then alternating for however, however it went, mm-hmm. you know, and I think that would have been the perfect way to end it. Um, but I just feel like maybe they rushed this, even though they said they, <laughs> like, were they working on it during this past time? <laughs> Was it not officially finished? I don't <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, and to, the one thing I will comment on with the, uh, the whole focus on McGuire and a little bit of Sammy Sosa is, Sammy Sosa is famously uncooperative when talking about certain subjects. And one subject is steroids. And 
We saw Mark McGuire talk about it. You know, Andrew and all that other stuff. We'll get into that later. But Sammy Sosa won't discuss it. He'll he'll dance around it and give you half answers, which don't even really answer anything. Uh, but I mean, like, he makes a good point. Like, why are you asking him to say those words? Like, we know he did it. He he basically says it, but why do you want him to? Why do you want to implicate him so bad when he's not the only one that did it? That's a fair point, but the, on the other hand, there's lots of other guys that did do it that came forward and came clean about it. Although, although there are plenty that haven't, uh, besides Sammy Sosa. At but, least he didn't destroy someone's. Uh... At least he didn't go all Floyd Landis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or at least he didn't call a female reporter a whore. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, so that probably could have been why. There are probably some things he didn't want to discuss because he, like I said, he's famously uncooperative in interviews. He'll talk about what Sammy wants to talk about, and if it's not what he wants to talk about, he'll steer the conversation back to what he wants to talk about. It's great for making yourself look good. It's bad if you want to give off the appearance of being transparent and you are actually telling the full story. Yeah. Well, I think he's just one of those people who, I mean, truly, to be honest, he strikes me as one of those people that just wants everything to be positive. Mm -hmm. I can see that. I I don't think it's so much like him trying to hide the fact that he's done something because he's he's basically told us that he has because mm-hmm. he says well why are you asking me i'm not the only one mm-hmm. like so basically he said it but he didn't say the exact words that everyone wanted um i think he just in my opinion just wants it to be such a positive thing all the time and keep that positivity up um that you know, once he says that, it opens the door to more, like, not-so-positive conversation. I, I guess, but, I mean, the way I see it is that a little bit of negativity would go a long way and give more positivity in the grand scheme of things. Because there's a, a famous, you know, distance between, you know, Sosa and the Cubs where he hasn't been back. And it seems like they don't right. want him to come back until he says, yes, I used, but... I feel like if he just gets past that little bit of negativity, there's so much positivity, a, a, a bigger impact he can make, you know, with the Cubs and, you know, with the community in, you know, Chicago on a, let's say, more official level, if you know what I well, mean. Right. And it also doesn't help, though, that he also quirked his bat. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he, 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 it wasn't just, you know, steroid use that, happened it was also just the fact that he kept doing things like that mm-hmm. and Chicago is like no matter what like we already are a laughing stock because you know they were like forever mm-hmm. people were just like you know what's going to happen first hell freezing over or the Cubs winning a World Series you know or like even getting <laughs> deeper into the playoffs and they had such bad luck mm-hmm. and then you have someone who is just outright you know, cheating essentially all the time. It feel it feels like you're like we want some positive. They wanted something positive, and if you think about it, you know, they just had experienced all this positive um, media 
presence because of the Bulls, and then things started going well for the Cubs. And then it was like, okay, steroids. And it's like, can you go and cork your freaking bat? Like, <laughs> like, give us a break. Give us a chance to defend you. <laughs> so, obviously, uh, you are uh, Team Sammy Sosa. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I would, I'm famously just you know, non-biased, don't have a, you know, I didn't have someone I was fighting for. However, I, I did like Mark McGuire because I, I really liked his really quick and compact swing. And he was, he seemed to be more marketed than, than Sammy Sosa was. You know, that was also part of him, you know, winning the home run derby, or not home run derby, the home run race and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, I had the, the Vortex Mark McGuire power bat, which was this big giant red thing and you can hit the ball and go like 500 feet yeah. uh, I, I, yeah. <laughs> I i had an aluminum bat it was called the mac attack it was like 20 ounces and i was like in fifth and sixth grade so that thing was light that meant that every person on my team used that bat because it was the lightest bat by five ounces you could get such great just bat speed and swinging that thing that thing got used by everybody no it really did <laughs> it really <laughs> <laughs> However, there is one aspect of Sammy Sosa which I give him the, I guess, uh, advantage in, and that's the out of the box after hitting a home run move, where he does that little kind of jumping little heel click thing, then he goes around the bases. I always love that. Yeah. I yeah I I did too. <laughs> I. Looking back on it as an adult, I wish I had let myself enjoy Mark McGuire a little bit more because one, he was very attractive. <laughs> um, two, he was just he was a good hitter. I mean, he his swing was just was beautiful, and I wish I um, could have stepped outside the fact that he was a cardinal. I, I wish mm-hmm. at a young age that I could have been like, okay, well, Sammy Sosa is good. I, I mean, he, he can hit. I get it. But there was something when I was watching all that film again as an adult, as someone who's learned to love the game even more, um, even from like a softball standpoint, and when you watch a certain swing and you're like, oh, that's the sweet stuff. <laughs> and I feel as though he had more of those fluid, just smooth hits that just kind of you're watching it and you're like, it's gone. <laughs> than, than Sosa did. Very um, smooth so I, swing. Yeah. So I wish I just enjoyed it more. Uh, it wasn't as upset <laughs> when Sosa didn't get the record. <laughs> so, let's uh, moving into uh, discussing what happened uh, in the documentary besides uh, what we already have, which was just very barely touching the surface. Um, the timeliness of this documentary. Again, ESPN somehow manages to release a documentary in a timely fashion when there are current <laughs> events happening which are almost identical to the beginning. You know, last time with Bruce Lee and, you know, all the protests going on, this time with 
Major League Baseball, you know, fighting with itself and trying to destroy themselves from the inside, they started off the same way. <laughs> Again. It's almost like the ESPN 30 for 30 docs have become like the Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. The Simpsons have predicted so many things. I'm glad you brought up The Simpsons because Mark McGuire was on The Simpsons. He was! I remember watching that and being so excited. And, and funny thing, I have a picture of Bart Simpson from that episode saved on my desktop of my computer. So when everyone starts, anyone starts talking about conspiracy theories on the internet, I just respond with that picture of Bart covered in tinfoil with the tinfoil hat and just pointing saying, <laughs> shut the door. I have that saved on my desktop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I can bust that out whenever I want to. Uh, but I do think it's hilarious that his quote doesn't that in that episode of The Simpsons doesn't necessarily apply to what happened, but you can take it out of context and apply it to what happened in real life. Do you want to know the horrifying truth? Or do you want to see me hit some dingers? Dingers! <laughs> dingers! Don't tell me the truth. <laughs> Don't ruin my childhood. <laughs> so I'm glad you brought the, Sim the Simpsons up right there. But <clears throat> uh, I don't know if baseball is going to happen. They're trying to do something. Uh, I've been very vocal of saying that my percentage on baseball happening this year is less than 1%. Um, Carl Ravitch tweeted just a little while ago. Uh, he said the following, Remember how I was so positive that we would be watching Major League Baseball this season? I heard and said 100% there would be games. I'm no longer living in the 100% world. Apparently, even <laughs> the most optimistic are no longer there either. Yeah. But part of that's because they're fighting so much. Like, I'm just, I feel like we, as fans of the game, are children, and mom and dad are about to get a divorce. Like, I am so afraid that they're not going to be able to get past this. And next thing you know, there's going to be some new form of a baseball league because they are so at odds, the MLB and the MLBPA. They are so at odds with one another. And you have like Trevor Bauer really speaking out about stuff. And I'm sorry, but you have to listen to Trevor. Like I know people don't like him, but – how many times has he been completely wrong about things having to do with baseball? I'm not saying in general. <laughs> having with, to do with, with baseball, with baseball he's on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he's just on. And, and I think fans should really um, pay attention to what he's saying. And I think the MLB should really pay attention because I think he is breaking things down in a way that's easier for people to understand. You know, saying how many games it really would be um, at a prorated salary for so many games compared to, like, less games compared to more games. And, you know, we need to, and the MLB needs to see that kind of analytical mind coming from a player. Yeah. And I hope that they are listening to him. But also, I mean... They haven't before. Why would they now? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just and and I would love to have baseball back, but I don't know. I like I don't know how it's going to happen this season. 
other than Brian Hedger, who is a beat reporter for uh, the Jackets, mm-hmm. the Blue Jackets down in Columbus for the Dispatch, he had his tweet out, and it was so funny. He was like, they should play 16 games, one every weekend, sometimes on Mondays and Thursdays, <laughs> <laughs> with a super game in October. And I was like, I am here for that. And then I was like, wait a second, that's football. <laughs> but not? let's do it. <laughs> I, I will add one more thing uh, on top of the Carl Ravage tweet I read. Uh, the Bleacher Nation account, which is a, which is a Cubs blog, uh, quote tweeted it and said, I wonder when this would come out. Even if MLB holds the right to mandate a schedule, it can't actually play without an agreement with the players on health and safety protocols. And why on earth would we think that negotiation is going to go well after what has happened? <laughs> and that, that's absolutely, that, that nails it perfectly. They can't even get money right. How the hell do you think they're going to get health and safety protocols right? I mean, there are NFL players who just tested positive for COVID-19 today, okay? And that's a whole other just mess because uh, possible HIPAA violations, so that's a big problem uh, <clears throat> with, you know, one Ezekiel Elliott. He is not very happy with what happened. So NFL is oh, not even gathering. Okay. They're not even doing anything, and they can't even escape you know COVID-19 positive tests how the hell is baseball going to get back to playing when other leagues are having this problem wait they didn't give him he didn't give them permission to say something somebody said something he and he quote tweeted he quote you just tweeted uh here we go oh he I guess subtweeted I guess that's what it'd be HIPAA and all caps and a couple question marks that's awful I mean I get like trying to tell the people that have been in contact with him but to that extent that's awful that's so like I could I would lose my job for that you know like mm-hmm. that's awful and that's another thing that like you said that's another thing we're running into with all this I mean the NHL players are testing positive um they're all, most of them have, I think all of them have been asymptomatic but <clears throat> Every sport team has, I mean, every sport, sport, not team, sorry, sport league has someone who plays who has some sort of um, immunocompromised issue. Mm -hmm. You know, like Max Domi has from, he's not with the Canadians anymore, is he? I can't remember where he's at now. But regardless, he he has diabetes. Mm -hmm. And it's like... You know, you can't be putting people in danger like this in their families, because even if you're living in the bubble, even if you don't see them, are, like, are they staying the two weeks after all of this is over to quarantine? And I don't, I feel like they're more, all of the leagues, not just the MLB, but mm-hmm. all of the leagues are more concerned about finishing seasons, making money, fulfilling their contracts than the safety of their players and their players' families and the staff. Mm-hmm. There, there, uh, there are two Cleveland athletes that I, I, I'd like to bring up right now. One is Carlos Carrasco, who underwent, you know, treatment for leukemia last year, uh, and the other being Larry Nance Jr. has Crohn's disease. Both of those yeah. two are more susceptible to coming down with this and the effects of it than the you know the average person. And I'm sure there are probably other athletes out there that have some sort of underlying condition that they might not even know. That right, because if athletes the, never take the time to... 
<laughs> take care of themselves. So. And so, I mean, that's just barely scratching the surface. And, I mean, I love Carlos Carrasco. If baseball actually returns, I'd be like, Cookie, I love you. Sit this one out. I'm sorry. <laughs> so that's the other thing. If you're sitting out because of health issues, I think it shouldn't go against your contract. I think that should be like a pause on your contract. And you shouldn't miss out on a year of your contract. They're actually, those players are getting paid and the, the year counts. But what I'm saying is, like, I think that it, especially if you're someone who is towards the end of your career and you're like, I need to sit out because, like, I could literally die. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should count against your contract. Like, they have to find a way to make that work. They have to find a way to come to a compromise um, maybe say we'll give you a year extension and kind of work out some sort of maybe smaller monetary. They've, um, they've already agreed to pay them in full, I believe. Well, no, I mean the ones that are the ones that wouldn't want to play because the doctors would be like, uh, no, this is not safe for you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, like, give them an extra year on their contract because if they're going into a negotiating year and they're older... They're in a really bad spot. Like, <laughs> I mean, every, everybody in the sport's in a really bad spot, to be honest with you. <laughs> oh, well, that's, no, that's so true. But, like, I don't know. They're, it's just, it makes me sad to think that there are people who have to decide between their health and their career in that aspect. And, I mean, you see it even with just people who aren't athletes, mm-hmm. you know, still having to go work at restaurants and at the grocery store, you know, and it, I don't think a lot of people are taking those things into consideration when they're making these rules. They're, they're really not. And that's kind of a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I don't think baseball happens. I mean, they can, they can try and do something. I don't think it happens this year. Uh, I think you'll see a lot of players uh, sitting out, whether they have a, a condition or not, uh, for your, <clears throat> other reasons besides just um, money or anything like that. Um, I just I would see a lot of players just not playing. Um, I've expected no baseball. I still expect no baseball. And that's just how it is, and it's sad. I mean, are they going to be able to fix everything before before next season too because i i am like so afraid we won't see baseball for a few years <laughs> you know that would be uh that'd be all great if everything they get everything fixed but guess what expires after 2021 exactly that's what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> the collective bargaining agreement <laughs> yeah and they can't handle two work stoppages in a span of three years it's just not, you'll lose fans. You'll just lose them. You know, and people will find other things to do. And as much as you love baseball, if, if there's no guarantee that it's going to be there and you, you want to put your money into something that might be around for a little bit, like. And I've been very vocal over the past, I don't know, months. Uh, blame the owners. Blame the owners. Blame the owners. Blame the owners. Um, because what they've been doing, they, I'm going to accuse them of some dirty tactics and some 
negotiating uh, that was not done, I would say, I, oh, they used the term the other day, in good faith, okay? <clears throat> Which is basically just like a giant fuck you in the negotiating world. Um, it really is. <laughs> uh, for, for months, we've been hearing that baseball wants to get the season done as early as possible and have the season done as early as possible by, you know, September 27th being the day, the postseason's only in October because of a second wave of the coronavirus. Now, I'm not discounting that there is a possibility of a second wave of the coronavirus or that it's still a, a thing because here's the deal. It's still real. Uh, a second wave of it could happen and it could topple everything that they're trying to get back up. My problem is, is that they're using that as a cover for we already have all of our playoff games scheduled with TV networks. We don't want to lose our money there. Right. So they were saying that to be like, we're worried about the coronavirus. Feel bad for us. In reality, it's like, we want our money. Fuck them. It's like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah. It... You, can, you can reschedule games. You know why? Because nothing's happening right now. You know what's going to be happening in September and October? Nothing. Basketball's returning, but you know what's going to be delayed? Next season. Hockey's returning. You know what's going to be delayed? Next season. Okay? There's going to be time to play these games if they have to go into November. I just... Nah. I used to be someone who would be like... Uh, you know, maybe some owners and they did do this. No, fuck them. I'm done with that. <laughs> I've, I've completely changed my tune. You have money, you own a team, pay it. You you got to where you are, pay the fucking players. That's where I'm at. Yeah. Well, I just think of, you know, the more they keep fighting and the more they keep doing this, I mean, it's... It, if some, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage for people in the food service industries and the people who work in the stadiums, you know, there's going to be a lot of collateral damage from this. And sometimes I think they forget that as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the you know, surrounding businesses. I mean, I'm sure, right. uh, you know, downtown Cleveland, I know is not necessarily doing all that well right now, but I'm sure, you know, uh, Wrigleyville in Chicago, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, back to the Cubs for a second they are pretty much dependent on the Cubs baseball season. Uh, and if there's no baseball season, they're kind of fucked. Right. They're dependent on, like, Cubs baseball season and a bunch of college kids who just turned 21 coming down. <laughs> coming down. And they're, they're such small bars, too. I don't know if you've been to Wrigleyville. But I like, haven't, but I've, I've seen my fair share of episodes of Bar Rescue that take place in <laughs> Chicago. They're not very big. A lot of the bars are really small, and if they're bigger, uh, there's a few that are bigger that have big open spaces, but even the bigger ones have um, even, like, walls, and they're long, and they're not wide. Yes, they're very so narrow. Really, yeah, they, they're really dependent upon people bar hopping and um, being literally on top of each other. I'm very curious to see how they're handling you know social distancing and the like in chicago in those bars because there's so i i can't tell you how many times i've been there and felt extremely claustrophobic but then after like 
so many old styles and PBAs, you're you're fine. PBRs, you're fine. <laughs> I mean, they, they pretty much rely on quick service, uh, quick turnaround, and high volume, uh, low cost. Yep. <laughs> and that doesn't seem like that's going to be coming anytime soon. So it'd be interesting to see how those businesses, uh, which businesses survive and the ones that do, how they continue to operate. And we've gotten off on quite the tangent here. But <laughs> It's fine. It's still about baseball. It's still about baseball, and I had some frustration I needed to get out. It's been building up uh, all day, and I'm sure there's going to be just more negative baseball news uh, as today goes on. But this is going to be a complete clusterfuck and complete shit show. Oh, breaking from Jeff Passan, MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred says that he is not confident that there will be a 2020 baseball season, which is a complete... Change of tone for what he said the other day. <laughs> fuck Rob Manfred. Fuck the owners. Fuck you cheap pieces of shit. Pay the players what they're owed. That's simple. We're not even talking about a full season. It's a full. It's a half season at, at 100% full prorated. You know what that is? That's half of the money they were supposed to make over the year. Half. You were budgeted to, to pay double of what you would be owing these players. It's not that hard. And you want to tell me that these these companies are just hemorrhaging money right now? Sure, they're not making money, but uh, did merchandise sales stop? Did that stop happening? I feel like, did merchandise sales go up? Like, I feel like people <laughs> are home. I wonder. I want to know. It, it, it probably did. People are bored. They're shopping. They, you know, uh, they got some, <clears throat> some essentially free money to play with. Uh, people are buying shit. I, I didn't know that merchandise sales just stopped happening and that they stopped getting money from that. Oh, wait, right. it, it didn't. <laughs> well, you know what? You know who would probably have been able to turn around some of this money is uh, Harry Carey. He would just offer everyone 45-cent beers. Yes. Until... <laughs> that, that was awesome. That was such an awesome scene. <laughs> to see him there. Just <laughs> him passing out beers. God, I love that man. <laughs> that was such an awesome scene. Um, but un- unfortunately, uh, Harry Carey did not uh, make it to see the 98 season uh, as he passed away beforehand. And he would have loved, could you imagine Buck and Carey both talking about this home run at the same time? Like, two iconic, and I'm not talking Joe, I'm talking his dad. (laughs) Um, But two iconic guys talking about this at the same time. Man, like, baseball really missed out on that part. But, I mean, obviously, it was so good. (laughs) It almost didn't matter. Almost. It would have been, would give you a different energy to it. Just because, Mm -hmm. you know, Harry Carey was somebody that had that energy to him. He had that just, that vibe. That was baseball. Ah, right. oh, so great. And I think he that, was just—he was so Chicago too. Like just the the way he spoke and the way he just dove into Chicago culture, whether it was the Sox or the Cubs, because he was with that other team for a little. And I think it would have been interesting, considering. Uh, you know, Harry Carey started off as a broadcaster for the Cardinals. So that would have been a different yeah. 
a different, I guess, an additional perspective because it's not necessarily that he has attachment or he still has some sort of, you know what I mean, uh, cardinalsness to him, but he was with St. Louis for a minute. You know, that minute being, I don't know, 24 years. <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> hey, it happened. So, you know, he was with them for a quarter century. So I, I imagine he would have provided an interesting and different perspective about the home run race because he oh, yeah. has a familiarity with that franchise. Right. Oh, no, totally. He would have a very... I mean, it would be semi-biased, but I feel like it would be a more even view. Mm-hmm. Although although Buck did a really good job. I remember that. Very, like, appreciating the art of baseball more than being like, one is definitely better because he's on my team. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. But one of the interesting things they were talking about, how all, all the beat reporters were like, okay, we got Kerry Wood. Um, <laughs> which... Uh, led to an absolutely legendary sign that they had. Uh, someone had. <laughs> Viagra sign. <laughs> Who needs Viagra when you got wood? Legendary. I just I remember, and it just transported me back to being younger, and all the kids like thought it would be funny to wear like Viagra stuff because <laughs> those commercials were everywhere. And they were giving out so much merchandise. <laughs> I just remember, like, thinking about it now, I'm like, if I saw kids my age at that time, like, 12, 13, wearing that kind of stuff, I would be like, where are your parents? <laughs> <laughs> you know, shout out Kerry Wood, Indian's legend. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but the story, obviously, was Sammy Sosa. You know, Sammy Sosa... Took a minute to get going, and he said that he always started off slow in the beginning of the year. But he got going, and boy, did he get going. <laughs> he did, and the fact that he straight up said that it it was a rough start because Chicago weather is cold. <laughs> and I'm like, how much, like, would he have won if he had started out on a team that was in warmer weather? Oh, do you mean like his his former team, the Texas Rangers? <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> or was also his future team, the Texas Rangers? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's crazy how different types of weather affect people. Like, I don't do well in super warm weather. I'm like a hoodie and rainy day. Like, that's when I get, I'm the most motivated So, I mean, that's a, I don't want to call it stereotypical thing, but it kind of is about Latin players, is that they usually start off slower in the colder weather. Just happens. Right. I mean, if if your body's so used to being in one climate and then you try to play in another, you're going to (laughs) struggle. Yeah, and it it, it seems to happen. It's always the story, oh, it's the Latin players starting off with the cold weather. I'm just like... Okay, this works for some guys, but, you know, explain why this guy's hitting, like, 900 right now, okay? <laughs> Does he, did he go home, he, did he go home, I would assume, during the, 
the off season? I, I imagine he would. A lot, a lot of them do. Uh, a lot of Latin players go back to uh, you know their country of origin, whether it be Dominican Republic or <clears throat> anything like that. So I, I imagine he probably did. I, I wouldn't see why not. <clears throat> the only yeah. ones that obviously don't go back are the Cuban ones, uh, for obvious yeah. reasons. Um, I I saw an interesting uh, a note you have here as we were going off of your very thorough notes. <laughs> yeah, I decided to take notes this time because I I got tired of losing my thoughts on things. But <laughs> and I completely just dumped mine because uh, hers is like a novel. I had the cliff notes of cliff notes. Um, <laughs> These are my cliff notes. <laughs> If you could see these, these are not cliff notes. <laughs> um, the you you wrote down about Mark McGuire and him being shocked for the standing O when he was two for twenty eight. Yeah. <clears throat> like it or not, and I know that it might be hard for you to admit because it's St. Louis, but St. Louis is one hell of a baseball town. Listen, I. I have to say something. It does hurt me a little bit to say, um, and all of my friends from where I grew up are probably going to disown me because <laughs> when I moved to Oregon, I drove to Oregon and I took the route from Columbus through like St. Louis down, you know, all that. So that meant I stopped in St. Louis and they were just doing all of the ballpark village. Mm hmm. And I ran into a bunch of Cardinals fans, and I was wearing a Cubs hat, and they were so nice to me. They so the, they weren't like the people in the documentary. No, they, <laughs> they took me to dinner, and then they found out I was a hockey fan, so then that was it. Everything was solidified. They were like, they loved me, and I didn't understand it. The whole setup of their baseball village is better than Wrigleyville. Uh, to be fair, Wrigleyville hasn't really changed their setup much, where they have changed a lot in St. Louis. So mm -hmm. I'm going to give you know Chicago that. <clears throat> but it's really nice, and the people are very wonderful, and they love sports, and they give credit where credit is due, and I'm like, I don't know if you know how to be a sports fan. <laughs> it is a baseball city, and they love their baseball players, especially their superstars, and Mark McGuire qualifies as a superstar. Oh, definitely, but just the way they talk about other teams, too, is, you know, they're not just a fan of their team. They are a fan of the sport as well, and so if somebody does well on another team who deserves to have those accolades, they will talk them up and they will be like, that was really good. I mean, they'll, they, they won't really cheer for them when they're in the stadium, but if they do something spectacular, they, they're talking them up. And I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not used to that because, you know, Cleveland fans were kind of aggressive. And so, are, <laughs> you, <laughs> so are, so are Chicago fans, and so I just happen to be from two places. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, aggressive is 
putting it mildly, um, <clears throat> I mean, all, all it takes is a you know a couple tweets from some key uh, Cleveland Twitter accounts, and it's it's war. <laughs> well, it's funny because Cleveland fans will just destroy themselves, and then the moment anyone else says something bad, Cleveland fans are like, whoa, 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 we're allowed to say that. <laughs> you can't. It, it, it's it's the equivalent of two guys that they're two drunk guys in a bar fight just yelling fuck you fuck you back to each other. Some other guy tries to come in and be like, no, both you guys suck, and they're like, hey, fuck this guy, and they go beat the shit out of him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like all the Indians fans going, hockey is not a real sport, <laughs> and going back and forth with each other, and then someone's like, yeah, well, Cleveland just sucks, and everyone's like, whoa, 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 you can go f yourself. Right now. <laughs> yep, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> but, you know, McGuire went through a, a slump, and you could tell that he was kind of uh, dealing with some, I guess, mental issues because of that. Yeah, I, uh, I like that they touched, that he specifically touched on that. Mm-hmm. They went and got help. He went and got psychological help and saw a psychologist. And you know what? More athletes need to be open to doing that. They don't have to talk about it because I know that's a very private issue. But you can see in the way he handled things and his competitiveness, he had a very – I always wondered why – he was so different from other athletes and he was so healthy about it mentally. Um, he was still driven, but more like at peace driven kind of like he didn't have to make up people to, <laughs> to drive him. Um, he didn't have to make up situations. He had a situation and he was just able to hone in on it without it being overwhelming or boring to him. And I think part of that, Obviously comes from within, but I think an, another part of it is that he knew he needed to get help at one point, and he got himself right mentally, and I found that very awesome, and, you know, even the average person could learn from what he did. Yeah, and sometimes uh, superstar players just need that, and someone like McGuire, who went through he went through you know he was a rookie he set the you know the rookie home run record which stood until Aaron Judge broke it then you know one of my favorite players Pete Alonso broke that uh <clears throat> new king of New York um anyways uh <laughs> uh then you know he had the success then he got hurt a couple years he only played a handful of games in you know 93 and 94 and you know then he gets you know traded and uh, something I completely forgot, he basically just played under Tony La Russa for his entire fucking career. Um, <laughs> he goes to he goes to St. Louis, he has the, the struggles, and it's like, you can see why he needed it. He Even though he had success, you know, playing the World Series, winning the World Series, playing with Jose Canseco, that complete psychopath, uh, getting injured, having to work through that, and... He, he needed that, that help, and you can see it helped him, you know, kind of refocus and center himself, you know, go back to who he was and be able to set up what was the very exciting summer of 98. 
Right. I mean, it's just <clears throat> proof that you can kind of do you know, and anything when you put your mind to it, obviously, but as long as you have the right mindset to do it, um, you'll be able to do it right for the most part. <laughs> I don't want to say you did everything completely right, but <laughs> I don't know how he played with Jose Canseco and didn't go like, uh, I mean, that guy was. He's a psycho. Just say it. I can't I'll say imagine it. having him as a teammate. That would be so awful. Stressful. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to be all nice and nice about it. I'm like, fuck it. Playing with Jose Canseco would suck. <laughs> it would. I would probably cry every day because you know you shouldn't hit your teammate. I cry more over happy things and the fact that um, I can't be mean without getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I would probably pay the other pitcher to be my own teammate. <laughs> I, I wouldn't pay them. That leaves a paper trail. <laughs> Venmo. Anyways, um... <laughs> You you highlighted a quote from Sammy Sosa. That's not how you start, it's how you finish. And that is completely accurate. That perfectly describes his 98 season. It does. It describes just... I think it describes so much. I mean, look, look at the way Michael Jordan started. Look at the way Lance started and the way he finished mm-hmm. was not exactly, you know... It didn't matter how he started then, because the way he finished was was not how people was not a good in good light. Um, I mean, you look at Bruce Lee, how he started and how he finished. I mean, it it's so true. You, you can let you could live on your laurels and start out strong and just fizzle out, and it, that beginning doesn't matter. You could get cut from your college and high school teams and win six championships and the start doesn't matter. (laughs) Like it is so accurate to everything you do in life. It is. And geez, I I just rent to Twitter for a second. So some breaking news now, but not breaking when you listen. Uh, This is from Bill. Shaikin? Uh, I can't pronounce your last name. S-H-A-I-K-I-N. Covers baseball for the LA Times. Source in a letter today, MLB told the MLBPA there would be no 2020 season unless the players waived any legal claims against the league. Oh my god. We... (laughs) I love how... um... All the news is breaking while we're talking about baseball. <laughs> All right, so there's some several players uh, commenting on this. Uh, oh, oh, look, Pat McAfee chimed in. Uh, the MLB is 100% dead from a clip the today, I think. I don't know when this was. Uh, <clears throat> Tommy Pham of the Rays, 2020 no baseball. Randall Grichuk of the Toronto Blue Jays. Well, there goes the season. See y'all in 2021. <sighs> God damn it. You can't ask them to to waive any 
Yeah, you can't do that. And games against the league. There's so many reasons why. I mean, are, any legal claims? Are they saying any legal claims like about grievances? Like, but yeah. So anything in in general or just surrounding COVID or not getting paid. But like, what if other things happen? Is this a blanket? Any or? Ooh, ooh, Trevor, Trevor Bauer just chimed in. Ooh, yes, yes. All right, I'm, I'm gonna okay, read wait. this. I'm gonna read this tweet. Wait. Okay, hold on. Wait, let's. Uh, what if we finish doing the stuff about this and then close with Trevor Bauer? Okay, that's okay. Because, because we're closing with we could close with his tweet about the Hall of Fame. Yes. Okay. And then go into <clears throat> yes. Okay. All right. I'm ready. We'll come back to that, but I just saw that and I'm just like, all right, no baseball. Great. All right. So back to uh, 22 year old baseball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what what really you know stood out was it seemed like uh, Mark McGuire was almost getting tired of talking to the media and, and you know having to deal with you know, the chase for 61. And Sammy Sosa was really into it. Yeah. He could, oh, that quote that somebody, I don't remember who said it, um, and said that Sammy Sosa would interview a ham sandwich and a ham sandwich would interview Sammy Sosa. (laughs) (laughs) First of all, with me as a child sitting in timeout interviewing the wall, which is why my timeout eventually became uh, me going to bed. <laughs> because they wanted me to be quiet, and I'd be like, oh, what did you do wrong? <laughs> it was weird. I was Sammy Sosa as a child, apparently. <laughs> but that, I mean, they're two different personalities, but they still had that same kind of camaraderie in common. Mm-hmm. was kind of cool. It was kind of like watching two friends who are so completely different, but they like connect on one level that you don't see. And I don't think you really saw that until you saw them do press conferences together. I think the the combined press conference was the best thing for Mark McGuire because it took pressure off of him to be, you know, have to answer all these questions. It was like, you know, two buddies just hanging out with some guys asking questions, and they kind of played off each other. Mark McGuire would imitate his, Sammy Sosa's little uh, little thing. I don't know how to describe it, um, <clears throat> but it was always just uh, it was always entertaining. They they seemed to really enjoy talking to the media together. Yes, and I think that's nice when you have someone to uh, counteract with you, because I know uh, for a while there, I think. All we ever did was talk to Delpy after games. Like, people would just keep asking Delpy to come out because he kept scoring for the Monsters. And, you know, after a while, because that was also the season when they could barely string wins together in general. Mm-hmm. So we would always talk to Coach Madden after every game. And if they lose, we don't get to talk to anyone. So, you know, when they win, it was usually Delps, and we'd be talking to him. And then he started giving us the same same answers and finally one day I was like I don't care if Dalby just scored four points <laughs> give me someone else anyone that wants to talk because you can see it in the player's face like they get fatigued how, right like how many times do I have to answer the same questions why can't I just go into the locker room and enjoy the time with my team like 
it's a whole psychological thing with having to answer questions all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I think it helped Elton a lot. Yeah, it definitely helped. Uh, there was there was one moment in the in the documentary where uh, St. Louis, as much as we just gave them all this credit for being a great baseball city, uh, they almost went full Cleveland. Um, (laughs) 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 When McGuire gets called out for essentially arguing balls and strikes uh, on a call that he still stands and says, that was a ball, uh, it looked a little low, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean... It it looked low. It... I, I think it was probably a ball, to be honest. <laughs> it, it, it looked low. I, I don't know who was who the, the umpire was, uh, who else was there. Uh, the, the one takeaway I had is, holy fuck, Mark McGuire's so big, he's bigger than the umpire wearing protective gear. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he, and he didn't even get, like, super aggressive. You know, like, you think about all the times that Lou Pinella got kicked out of games. Mm-hmm. And he was just like in their face, like pushing them and poking at them. <laughs> They're like, "Yeah, you're gonna get kicked out. Calm down, Lou." But Mark McGuire was just—I mean, he was kind of aggressive, but not in the sense of you know, let's just throw him out. And then for it was just funny them talking about how bad it was that the, the debris on the field. And I'm mm. like, you have never been to a Cleveland event. <laughs> I, you don't know what debris is. Uh, can I interest you in Bottlegate? Or when, when people were throwing batteries at Albert Bell after he was charged with assault and battery when he came back to Cleveland. Or, or how about the, <laughs> the 80s dog pound where they would literally throw D-cell batteries and dog bones at the opposing players? Okay. <laughs> Let's not even bring up beer night, 10-cent beer night. 10-cent beer night. What a horrible <laughs> idea that was, but that happened. <laughs> oh, Cleveland, I love you so much. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, the, uh, they could have encountered something similar in Chicago with the 45-cent beers, but they managed to not have that happen. <laughs> One 10-cent beer night in Cleveland, and all hell breaks loose. It's a, it's an epic story that still goes on today, and it's always, you know, it's memorialized for how ridiculous it was. There's shirts. There's merchandise. <laughs> There's merchandise. Uh, you know, the iconic moments in Cleveland sports history. 10-cent beer night, bottle gate. Uh... <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Pretty much everything. Uh... <laughs> oh my goodness. <clears throat> but another thing that we saw with that of him being thrown out, though, is how upset management what and the front office was that he got thrown out. Mm-hmm. Not because he got thrown out from the game, but because people came to watch him. Yeah. And they basically saying that they should have just let it happen and that he should have stayed in the game and that maybe they should have just said, okay, that was a ball. And that kind of shed light even more on the double standards that are within sports that Mm -hmm. if you're good and you bring in money, well, you can be whoever you want to be. You can be a jerk. You can, he's not a jerk. I'm just saying like in general, (laughs) if he wanted to be, he could, he could have, you could, be sexist and racist and homophobic. You can be all these things. It's okay because you're putting butts in seats and people are coming here to watch you play. And 
I mean, Mark McGuire seemed like a, there didn't seem anything too bad in his past. I could be wrong, but, you know, even in that token, like, when you argue with the ref a little bit and the ref is feeling butthurt, of course he's going to kick you out. Like, mm-hmm. it happens. Look at how many times Lou Pinella got kicked out even when he was being good. Even mm-hmm. when he was being good. Terry Francona's been kicked out for just, like, yelling. <laughs> you know, it's going to happen. And you can't, I mean, to come out and say... That was wrong because of all these people that came to see him play. That was that's an interesting way to, to take the the getting kicked out thing. I mean, if you want to say it's the first inning, uh, give him a warning as long as he didn't say like the f bomb, you know, didn't say fuck you or you fucking right. suck or you fucking blind or as long as he didn't say something absolutely aggressive or do something. It just feels like maybe that umpire was just like, I'm not gonna let this guy show me up. You're out of here. Right. He was probably like, this is my time to shine. People will remember me forever, and they did, and they don't really like you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. And that, that's a that's a good point, though, is that so many people came to see him there, and he got ejected, so I understand the, the management's perspective, because there are probably people that left, like, Mark McGuire's not playing? Fuck this, we're leaving. And that, that you know, the stadium probably lost out on some, you know, some merchandise sales, some concession sales, some whatever. Because people probably left because McGuire got ejected. Right. But, you know, I some think, people probably end up buying more shit because they threw it on the field. So, I guess uh, evens out a little bit. That's true. <laughs> that is true. I wonder how many people left to go find my, Mark McGuire. <laughs> there, there are probably a handful of people that just left the game because of that. Um, and they still have their money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And McGuire wasn't just a you know a draw at home. He was a draw on the road. He would have the other teams would make sure he comes out for batting practice, so pl- yeah. the, you know the fans can see them, you know, come out. There'd be times where you'd be like, McGuire's not taking BP today, and you know the guy would go down and be like, "Hey, can you take batting practice today?" There's like five thousand people here to watch you take batting practice. Can you do right. it? It's absolutely insane. It it's so crazy to think what he did to other stadiums um, and to other teams to really boost their sales. I mean, it just goes to show that a, a generational athlete or someone who is very talented can help other teams out. So even if they aren't on your team or they're the quote-unquote enemy, <laughs> uh, you could still use it to your advantage to you know, grow the sport a little bit more. Um, I liked that they showed the seat covers and then as the stand went, was it in Florida? Was it Florida? I can't remember. As it, as it went on throughout those few games, (laughs) the seat covers got smaller, the charts got smaller and smaller and smaller, (laughs) you know, because people were there to watch him play. And I loved watching those kids. I wish I was as nimble as those kids running to go get a ball on a tarp overseas. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the hell they did that. I'm like, how did nobody like break an ankle or a leg or an arm or you know, I mean, smash they, their I, face on something? Someone probably did. <laughs> it would have been me if I was doing <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, but that was down at uh, whatever the hell they call the Dolphin Stadium now. Because uh, that's where the Marlins played at the time. Uh, they seem to change the name of that stadium every year or so. Um, 
Season. <laughs> so, uh, as the season went on, uh, he obviously gets close to breaking Maris's record and tying it. Then he finally does break it. And Roger Maris's uh, son was in the stands when he broke it. And it was interesting to see uh, that moment happen. Because uh, he hits the home run, which at first, first of all, that was a wall scraper. It barely made it over, and he originally thought it was a double. Uh, yeah. He was hustling to get out of the box and, you know, get the second base. Uh, he almost missed stepping on first base, which was interesting. Because <laughs> he was so excited. <laughs> then, then, you know, he goes over and he, you know, does the... Uh, I, don't know, I don't know how to describe it. He does the... He does the thing where he goes over to, you know, the, the family of Maris and kind of brings them into the picture and gives them some recognition. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, the first thing I thought of as an adult, <clears throat> not as a, not as like a 12, 13 year old watching that, but as an adult was, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to be Maris's family and watching that record be shattered, it's different when the person's still alive, but when the person is gone and no longer living, it had to be very bittersweet mm-hmm. for them and, and a little bit slightly painful, um, especially since, like they said in the beginning, he never really got the credit he truly deserved for hitting those home runs when he did. Mm-hmm. So Mark McGuire then goes in and gives them a hug, which I'm sure they needed that hug at that moment. Um, I don't even know if he realized what he might have truly done for them in that moment. And also it, it did. It, it made people like talk. The, the fans who didn't really know much about baseball before that and even the record going, oh, is that his family? Who is he hopping in there for? And then them saying this is, you know, Maris's family and he's the one who did this. And then I'm sure I I remember articles being written about Maris after that, kind of introducing you to who he was. And so he finally and his family finally got that credit that that he deserved a little bit late, but he finally got it. So I thought that was cool. Um, Also, I jokingly was like, Mom, is that Mike DeWine? And then somebody (laughs) That was like super important, like in the in the Ohio, like uh, people that talk about politics, <laughs> um, even tweeted it out, and we're like, "Wait, we all know that Mike DeWine is like a huge baseball fan, and this guy was wearing a Cincinnati Reds hat, sitting right next to the Maris family, taking photos, and it does. It looks so much like Mike DeWine." I need him to come out and like let us know if that was him, and he needs to share those pictures. <laughs> if, if it was him. Yes, if it was him, I need those pictures, Mr. Governor. I need them <laughs> right now. <laughs> and um, McGuire hits the home run, and uh, the one guy gets it. Like They swarm him to escort him out of there and make sure that you know, nobody attacks him or beats him up or... Right. You know, maybe even tries to kill him for, get, right. for getting that home run. I mean, because as soon as he got that ball, it was like, 
a SWAT team was ready to go and get in there and get him in and out, and it was like a it was like a rescue mission. Well, was it that one? Which one was it that the um the what's it the grounds guy? Which one did he catch? Which that one was, did he that catch? Was, that was number sixty-two, I think. Okay, yeah, it was, it was the one after. It was the one after. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it crazy? They needed to like protect all these people that were catching the balls, even in you know, even Sosa's balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I can't imagine that. Like, if I had gotten a puck in the stands or something and security came down to rush me out for my safety <laughs> because someone might jump me for my puck. <laughs> like I can't even imagine it. It's crazy. And, you know, he did a little media tour afterwards. Uh, uh, I think he ended up getting like uh, some sort of van from somebody um, he got something else. I don't remember what it was. I don't remember. I, I heard what it was earlier today, but I completely forgot, but it, it doesn't really matter. Um, you highlighted a quote from Mark McGuire that you absolutely loved. Wait, there were so many. <laughs> Do you want me to read it for you that you said love, love, love this quote? Just, I don't think you... Oh, no, no. This one's my favorite. Okay, I'll let you read it. Go ahead favorite quote of all time it's now in my top 10 um when he said i don't think you can get to the top unless you scratch the bottom floor and i was like i wish we had dvr so i could pause this so i could just soak in that quote (laughs) oh because it was just so it's so true about just sports in general like if you look in life in general but if you look at some of the greatest athletes who have broken records, um, who have just put on this display of pageantry, they have come from somewhere towards the bottom in their life. Like somewhere in their life, something went wrong that drove them to just be so competitive, whether Mm -hmm. it be an off-season or uh, a bad childhood or in a weird accident. I mean, look at look at Nathan Gerby from from the Monsters in the Jackets. He basically had to rebuild his like hips and leg, and he came back so strong this season. You know, you look at like I said before with Michael Jordan, and I mean, look at LeBron. He didn't come from like he didn't have the best background, and and they had all of these athletes, even Lance Armstrong, like. Uh-huh. That will to be at the top because you've been to the bottom or you've had a life that isn't considered, you know, isn't considered like normal or like um, glamorous. You know, those are the ones you see. They're just creating magic for people to emulate. And I love it. Now, speaking of the ways he got to the top, I think there's a, a certain aspect of what happened that I think a lot of people attribute more to his overall performance. Uh, you know, McGuire and Sosa and other people of that era 
bonds, etc. And that would be steroids. We've discussed this before, and we're going to discuss it again. Yeah. And it's funny because the first time we discussed it, I was like, well, maybe. And now I'm like, no, I totally agree. <laughs> the fact of the matter is you can take as much steroids as you want. You can get as big and as jacked as you want. But if you can't hit the ball, who the fuck cares? Right. You know, it does shit. You could whiff every fucking time. <laughs> and it wouldn't matter that you were taking steroids or not because you couldn't make contact with the ball. You know, or you could be like freaking Rick Wild thing Vaughn in Major League and throw 12 consecutive balls and walk three guys and give up a grand slam. Okay? <laughs> it, it doesn't matter if you don't have command of your pitches. If you can't locate your pitches if you're a pitcher. Right. I think baseball is one of the few sports where taking steroids, for the most part, doesn't really affect how you really play the game. No, because there's so many other things about it. Like, you still have to make contact with the ball. And you have to make good contact with the ball. Or right. you still have to throw the... You still have to throw a pitch. You still have to locate it. You still have to have, you know, the right amount of spin. You still have to get it past the guy that has the bat. There's so much, there's so many variables in it that, yeah, steroids is going to help you with recovery. Maybe it makes it a little bit stronger. But unless you can actually complete the action of throwing the pitch and locating or connecting with the pitch, if you're the batter, doesn't matter. Exactly. It. I mean, it... It doesn't, I'm not saying that taking the steroids is okay. <clears throat> like, if it is something that is illegal to that sport, I do not think it's okay. But it didn't really affect uh, the game as much, I guess. I the, mean... The tangible <laughs> on-field impact is not as large in this sport than it is in others. Right. Because you're not going toe-to-toe -to -toe so much with someone. You're not, you know you're really dependent upon how your skill, like just the skill in general. It's mm -hmm. not about strength as much. As much. Yeah. There is some. I think that's a good way to put that. Now, I'll let you finish up the documentary discussion with uh, Bob Costas before we get into uh, baseball just fucking itself. So, talk about uh, Bob Costas for me. Listen... <laughs> Bob Costas brought some serious disappointed dad energy to this <laughs> steroid conversation. I, no joke, when he started talking, I audibly said, I'm sorry, Bob. And <laughs> I don't even do, nor have I ever taken steroids. <laughs> and you've I, probably never been in the same room as Bob Costas. <laughs> no, I haven't. I just felt his extreme disappointment. I felt like maybe I should go upstairs to my room and think about what everyone else had done. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so, <laughs> he was so disappointed, you know, <laughs> and I, it made me feel really sad. <laughs> uh, that's, that's accurate. <laughs> I think it's a good way to, to wrap up the documentary. Is there any other final things you want to talk about that before we dig into the legend that is Trevor Bauer? No, because the thing I would wrap up with is that um, Trevor 
made a good point about that there are Hall of Famers who did have did use steroids that are in the Hall of Fame right now. Yeah, there are plenty of them, and if you're going to say that the the Hall of Fame's clean or it'll always be clean, uh, it won't be, and it isn't, and that's just how it is. Um, I I know people like to say, oh, they tainted the game, or their stuff is awesome. I'm like, it's a Hall of Fame. It tells a story about the history of baseball. You can't tell the history of baseball without Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, or even Barry Bonds, or some of the other guys that are, are kind of assholes. Right. I mean, you have, at some point you have to put them in somehow, some way. I mean, it, if you're going to allow other people, and so this, I also feel that way about Pete Rose now, as I've gotten, when I realize how many people are in the Hall of Fame who have done, you know, shady things, I'm like, there's literally no reason why these three people shouldn't be mm-hmm. in the Hall of Fame. Like, I don't... Now, I, an argument could be made that because um, they did... Because they used steroids, uh, how many... Maybe they wouldn't... Maybe when they made contact with the ball, some of those short homers wouldn't have gone over. Um, and I, some pitchers... <laughs> and those poor pitchers. I uh, could not imagine being a pitcher during that time. Because no matter how great of a pitcher you were, if either one of those two made contact with that ball, that was it. So maybe we should start subtracting the McGuire and Sosa's from from their records so we can see how some pitchers really stick against the rest of the league. I don't know. That's the only argument I can see for why people might not want them in. I mean, but, it, here's here's how I'll, I'll put it this but way. It's, it's such a thin, it's such a thin, small argument when other people, like you said, have they've done it and mm-hmm. they're in it. I mean, it, for what it's worth, it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of Ethics, and I think uh, ethics is a reason why some people get kept out. Like Kurt Schilling is a great A asshole. I think he's a piece of shit. But is he a Hall of Fame caliber baseball player? Absolutely. But I just think he's an asshole, and that's what's keeping him out right now. Yeah. It's because he's an asshole. People are like, fuck this guy. I'm not voting for him. But I think it's hard, though, when you you don't want to... Um, you don't want to take someone who is just a bad person and memorialize them. But it's kind of hard when they did shape the sport in such mm-hmm. a way. Um, like, I'm not saying we need to build, like, a million statues to them and... We need to give them that credit. Yeah, it's different. It's different if it's someone who's just an asshole on the internet and just being very aggressive with everything, like Kurt Schilling, versus like someone who, uh, I don't know, committed violent crimes or killed somebody. That's a completely different, you know, story and set of circumstances. I think it's it's just it sorts itself out uh, for the most part. I say for the most part. Because there I know, because, yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> That's a whole other topic. Yeah. So, now, getting to Trevor Bauer's legendary tweet thread right here, because this is legendary. God, I love Trevor Bauer so much. I can't wait to read this tweet thread. Right, so, here we go. 
So Rob, explain to us how you can be 100% sure that there's going to be baseball, but not confident there will be baseball at the same time. Hmm, what changed between those statements? Players told you, set the season, but it's too early to set the season right now, isn't it, Rob? Because then you'd have to explain why you're only going to impose 50 games when we can easily play 70 plus right now. The tactic is to bluff with no season again and delay another two to three weeks until you clear the risk of not negotiating good faith by trying to play as many games as possible. The public backlash combined with the potential of having to explain yourself in front of an arbitrator or arbiter isn't too or arbitrator. I'm sorry, arbitrator isn't too appealing, is it? Let's see. The way I have it figured, you would want to play between 50 and 60 games. Can't make it 50 because that would be too obvious to everyone what you were trying to do. And no one would think that that was a representative season. So you'd risk not getting your precious playoff money. Nope, can't have that. So got to make it more than that. But not too many. You've gone about as high as 50 games full prorated salary. So you'll probably settle somewhere around there. Potentially a couple games higher than to throw people off the scent. Isn't that right, Rob? So in that scenario, let's see, September 27th end date to protect playoff TV schedules, 60th games, going to have to be at least four days off in there. So that's 64 days, plus about 20 for spring training, 84 days. September 27th, 84 days is July 5th, plus about a week to get players to spring training, so tack on another seven. That takes us to June 28th. As I have it figured, that's your deadline. But today is June 15th. So how do you delay another 13 days? Hmm, guess we all got that answer today. Threaten to cancel the season. Threaten arbitration. Threaten grievances. All the while, hold the fans ransom. Hold the future of the game for ransom. No one believes your bluff, bud. You're holding a losing hand. Unfortunately, it's a losing hand for everyone involved, not just you. There's some saying out there about not killing the goose that lays the golden egg. I'm sorry. There's some saying out there about not killing the goose that lays the golden eggs. Check it out, the old Google machine. It's worth knowing. Legendary. Yeah, so here's my first thought on that. <clears throat> I'm going to need Trevor Bauer to retire and run MLB. That's that's what it is. I, the world needs, the, the league needs someone who is willing to break things down like this. Before Trevor Bauer, how many athletes across the board in any league, <clears throat> any sport, was breaking it down for fan had this kind of transparency for fans and media to see. It is incredible that he's able to break it down in such a way that the average person can understand the breakdown. Like how many days it will be, how it could still work, all of that. I I, we need more athletes to be willing to be as open about what's going on as Trevor Bauer is. And, and none of what he's saying is him speaking like an asshole. Like, he's not coming across like a know-it-all. I mean, some people will probably, you know, there's always some. But he is stating the facts. And showing how it can work. And that it's just a big bluff. And honestly, like, as a fan of sports in general and as baseball being one of my, like, original loves is this is refreshing. Because you know it's definitely not most of the players. You know it's not the players 
who are holding out on the season for a stupid reason. You know, like, this is legit. It could happen. The season could happen. And holding grievances, like, there's so much wrong with how this is being handled. And players are now exposing it for what it is. And like I said, people need to listen to Trevor Bauer more because how many times has he been wrong about baseball? Yeah, about baseball, he's pretty much never been wrong. Uh, I can't think of uh, an instance off the top of my head where he has been. Uh, He was way ahead of the Astros cheating, but, you know, nobody believed him and everyone tried to dunk on him. And several years later, guess who was right? Trevor Bauer. Right. I mean, here's the thing is the MLB is hurting themselves because they lucked out with Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire going on a home run tear shortly after a lockout. So they were able to salvage what what money they may have missed in years past and rebuild a fan base. I don't know if you could luck into that again. No. It's no. very hard. I mean, the the NHL lucked into it with getting Sidney Crosby in during during the lockout year, the first the, the full lockout year, the 2004-2005 season. So then the next season they had Sidney Crosby generational talent. They got lucky. Mm-hmm. There's only so many times a league can be lucky and being able to recoup all of that. And when you have a long season, when you have that many games, over 100 games in a season, mm-hmm. if you keep – there's fans don't want to spend money, uh, that much money on that many games, if they feel like they're going to be held hostage yet again with negotiations and with prices – um, all of that because it is a it's like getting married or mm-hmm. having children to have season tickets to to MLB and to hockey mm-hmm. because the seasons are so long and I know people will get mad at me for comparing it to marriage and children <laughs> it's a but big commitment it is it's, it's a huge commitment and you don't want to waste your money because money is important time is money so time is important you have to feel like you're making that right decision. It's buying season tickets is like buying a house. You want to be comfortable with what's to happen, not for just that year, but for years to come. And if you can't have faith in a league because they're going to do this and they're also going to try and guilt players into playing, even though what they're saying is completely right and their concerns are completely valid, why would you want to support that league? Yeah, and you wouldn't. And there's there any potential, I guess, big storyline that they could have gone for once it returns, those are all gone. I mean, they've already juiced the baseballs. Everyone's suspicious of them. You can't juice them more. You can't have more home runs. Uh, you know, the two, like, storied-long uh, championship droughts, you know, the Cubs and the Red Sox, those have been resolved. They've won. The Red Sox winning multiple times. Uh, I love the Indians, but people don't give a flying fuck about the Indians and their current longest active baseball World Series drought. Nobody cares, okay? I care. And the fact of the matter is, (laughs) 
I mean, they, I mean, I care too, but I'm just saying from a grand, you know, a broad perspective. And the other thing is that let's be real here. Um, they could very well tear half the team down once rosters get on frozen. Okay. Exactly. Their their window of opportunity uh, may have been closed with the season being delayed. This when this year was probably their last shot to even get close to it before they have to embark on a, a rebuild. So they can't go to the longest, uh, you know, <clears throat> active drought for a way to to get people into the game again. So I don't know where they're gonna go. I, I really don't. Yeah, I mean, the only way that people would be maybe remotely interested when it came to, like, Cleveland is if Cleveland and Cincinnati played each other because it's two teams that you would never think would make it to the World Series, and then they play each other. Yeah, maybe. outside of Ohio and Pittsburgh and and Pennsylvania, and, like, would would people on the West Coast care? I don't no. I don't think so. I Cleveland is one of the Ohio teams in general. Let's even say that Ohio in general teams are, you know, people love to hate them. They love to ignore them and sometimes they'll jump on the bandwagon, but they'll jump off really fast. <laughs> like the the two teams from each league with the longest active droughts, the Indians and the Brewers could play in the World Series and nobody would care. Yeah. You know, same with the pot. If you swap out for the the Brewers for the Padres, nobody would care. Right. There. I can't. Yeah, like you said, there's not really a a thing that would would make people want to come out unless we stop. Unless baseball stopped being about hitting home runs all the time and became about other things like. Someone who's a really good, like, there was, like, a bunting, <laughs> a successful bunting group. You know what I mean? Like, if there was a bunch of guys who all of a sudden were really good at bunting, or how many guys just de- decimated the, the RBI's record. You know what I mean? Like, but no one's really training themselves to be anything but a long ball hitter right now, which, like he said, he's a home run hitter and that's what he was and you have to embrace who you are as a player so maybe this is a time for more players to embrace their skills that they already have mm-hmm. and maybe if we can get back to like that maybe they could start to bring more fans back in after something like this but truly it, it has to be something like a phenomenon that mm-hmm. brings people back in and I don't know what what it's gonna be. I mean, I mean they can't even get their own sport right. They keep fucking everything up with, with the way the game works. Uh, even when they bring it back, I mean they're just gonna fuck with it more. So, uh, but like I never thought that hockey would be. I never thought the NHL would be would be like on par to be doing things right <laughs> for coming back and playing the season. Um, I knew the MLB would be like would not be so well, but I didn't expect it to be a complete dumpster fire. Well, baseball's always done this. Right. And I don't think we really would have known how dumpster fiery it would have been if it wasn't for guys like Trevor Bauer being so transparent and Mm -hmm. breaking it down so that the average person 
who doesn't understand contracts, who doesn't under, who's not really good at math or, you know, breaking down prorated contracts, all of that. If he didn't explain it broken down, I don't think a lot of people would, you know, would understand what's truly going on right now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it needs to change. It, it really so, does. Dr. Bauer, you keep talking, get more people to talk. And I hope one day you run the MLB. <laughs> I do too. So uh, <clears throat> for me, uh, wrap it up here. Um, documentary is very entertaining. Uh, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa dynamic, awesome. Uh, with the what's first ha- hour was not entertaining. <laughs> huh? The first hour was not oh, entertaining of that it, documentary. It, it, it got going. Uh Fuck Rob Manfred. Fuck the owners. Stop being cheap assholes. You bought a baseball team with the expectation of you're going to have to pay people. So fucking do it. <laughs>